Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Lila Rose Show. Welcome back. Great to be back with you guys. I am going to be talking about heroes today, heroes and anti-heroes. And this is really, I think, what can make or break culture is who are our heroes and what do we, who do we admire? Who do we look to? So really excited to dive into that. I think there's a lot of takeaways for us, but before doing that, first of all, thank you for everybody who has emailed me, sent me your thoughts on the last couple episodes. We talked with Josanne Marie about her incredible story as a sexual abuse survivor, a childhood sexual abuse survivor, and her life of forgiveness. And so I got some interesting notes from some of you about some of you who've been through similar experiences and just the power of hearing other people uh, overcome and that that does not in the end define you, but that you are beautiful as Josanne's book is called Beautiful. And then we also had an episode last week on what to look for in a man. I will be doing a what to look for in a woman episode in the future, but I love the feedback on that too. Some from men saying, hey, it was good to listen about listen to qualities that are good for men to have that I aspire to. And some great comments from women. I mean, one from a woman who, a couple from women who are dating or engaged and wondering, okay, do I keep moving forward? Because uh, this person I'm with, this man is actually not interested in fatherhood. And that's really can be a deal breaker. So anyways, keep sending your thoughts. It's really great to hear them. Thoughts at LilaRoseShow.com. As I shared last week, my new book is coming out actually today. Today is my book birthday, Tuesday, May 4th. Uh, You might be listening to this later, but yes, this is the day. It's been long awaited and I'm so excited to finally share Fighting for Life, Becoming a Force for Change in a Wounded World. I'm super pumped about it. I think that more than ever, we all need to get in the fight. There is a battle raging. Our nation is at a crossroads. Our world, all of our nations are at crossroads in a way every day, and we have to decide what role we're going to play and how we're going to stand up and show up and stand up for what's right. So Fighting for Life is a guidebook. It is a handbook of sorts for anybody who wants to make a change in the world. It's also very personal. I share about building live action and the struggles I've been through and the triumphs. And I hope, I hope, I hope that it is helpful and inspiring for you. So enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Okay. Let's go to this topic of today, heroes and anti-heroes. On the podcast, we talk a lot about development, um, causes, how to be healthier, how to grow uh, as human beings. And I think this is a linchpin for growth. And to lay the groundwork here, this is a topic that I discuss in the book. There's actually a chapter in Fighting for Life called Heroes, um, Find Your Heroes. And I discuss the importance of this. If you are someone who wants to fight for a cause, if you are someone who is living your calling or trying to discover your calling, if you're someone who just wants to become better and wants to love more, become the best man or woman you can be, having a hero, having heroes, I think is essential. And I think we all have them, whether we know or not, whether we realize it or not. Having a hero has to do with the principle of worship, 
worship is something that I think we're all made for. It's natural to the human person to want to worship something or someone. Um, G.K. Chesterton says that man's most natural position is on his knees. Uh, Joseph Pieper, uh, the philosopher, says in his book, The Basis of Leisure, I'm paraphrasing here, but the greatest expression of leisure or of rest for the human person is actually worship, celebration of life, but most of all of God, of the ultimate, uh, of the ultimate idol, the ultimate one to be worshipped, which is God. And what we admire as human beings is what we become like. That's the principle of worship. We become like what we look to. We we try to model our behavior, our thought, uh, our, our speech, even after who we look to, after who we admire. That's why God says, you know, one of the Ten Commandments is to have no idols before me. So for the Christian or Jewish audience listening, those familiar with the Ten Commandments, um, one of them is to have no idols before God. That God says, I'm first. He's saying, worship me first. I am the first to look to. Nobody else comes before me. And that's, why does he say that? Well, it's owed to him because he's God, but he also understands that because we're made to worship, if we worship anybody but God or anything but God as first, as the ultimate, um, as God, then we are going to damage ourselves. It is unnatural for us and we will mislead ourselves. I think about just all kinds of people. I mean, atheists, for example, a lot of people who don't subscribe to any religion or uh, maybe an agnostic, we all have a belief system, a, a moral code that we live by, even if we don't realize it. And I think in a sense, we all have a God, somebody, something that we look to that in a sense we worship. I think for some today, it's science. Um, science is the ultimate authority and arbiter, and science is what we look to, and science is what we revere and respect, and that's kind of our our focus. Um, that's our hero. For some people, it's maybe a romantic other. We put all of our admiration and our reverence in adoring, you know, the the latest uh, focus of our affection. Uh, everybody, in a sense, has. A hero. Everybody, in a sense, has an idol or a god, and we have to decide: will they be good or bad? Will they be true or false? And so, I, of course, would argue the ultimate hero is God. And I'm going to close out talking more about that. But there are three qualities that make a hero. I would say that make somebody a hero. Number one is that a hero has moral clarity. A hero is somebody who understands morality, they understand right from wrong, they have a strong moral compass, and they're able to see the world for what it is and the human person for who they are. They, in this sense, can guide us. In this sense, they can actually lead us because they have moral clarity. The second thing is a hero lives out virtue. What is virtue? Virtue is excellence, morally speaking. And we can't live excellently if we don't know what excellence is. And we don't, we can't live morally if we don't know what morality is, which is why first moral clarity is essential for a hero. So there are seven virtues. Some of you have heard of this. There's what is called the cardinal virtues. And then there are what are called the theological virtues. The cardinal virtues were discussed by the ancients, by the Greco-Roman philosophers of thousands of years ago, who said that the cardinal virtues are fortitude, temperance, prudence, and justice. And that 
having these, possessing these qualities. So be, to be prudent, to be just, uh, to be, for, to have fortitude, to be courageous, you could say, or persevering, that these were marks of excellence, moral excellence in a person. And then the early Christians added some virtues, which they called theological virtues, some of the early church fathers and doctors. And they said that these theological virtues, uh, unlike cardinal, were infused in us directly by God, by his grace. And that's the virtue of love, the virtue of faith and the virtue of hope. So these are the seven virtues and together they create excellence in a person when we seek to grow in these areas. But in order to grow in the area, for example, of justice, you need to know what is just. Uh, and you can't know what is just, what is right from wrong, what is owed the other, unless you have moral clarity. So heroes have moral clarity. They live out virtue and by nature, because they're doing that, they inspire us to heroic virtue. I think we all need models. We're all made to look to others to learn from them. When we're kids, in a way, our parents are our first model. They're like God to us. I remember when I was little, uh, so much of my moral universe was my parents. Uh, even before I rem can remember, they kind of teach us, they do teach us what is right from wrong. That's why if we have difficult childhoods or neglectful or harmful parents, it can be so damaging. And it's also why it can also be damaging to our relationship with God because some Sometimes how we see our parents is how we end up seeing God. And so how we react to them later in life because we've been hurt can be also how we find ourselves reacting to God. That's how powerful models are from an early age. And that's how important heroes are for us at any age, because we look to them as what we want to be like. We look to them with admiration. And if they have that moral clarity, if they live out virtue, and if they can inspire us to heroic virtue, then we are on a path to growth. Then we are on a path to becoming more excellent ourselves. I really credit heroes in my life for so much. I mean, I don't think I would have been able to focus on the pro-life cause, start live action, if I hadn't had the heroes that I had. When I was a young girl, I had found out about abortion and I was really upset about it. I thought it was a huge problem. There were 3,000 abortions a day at a time at the time in America alone. And it was legal. It still is legal. And I was just very concerned. I thought I have to do something about this. I was also learning about a lot of other issues and there are so many other issues in the world to pay attention to, but I came across the, uh, the little nun from Calcutta, India. Some of you, I'm sure, I'm sure all of you actually have heard of her, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, uh, now Saint Teresa of Calcutta. And at the time she had, I think recently passed away, uh, when I was a young teen, but she had captivated the world. I mean, she had won a Nobel Peace Prize by the end of her life. She had spoken before the most powerful people on the planet, and she went around the world just sharing the truth and also worked day in and day out when she wasn't traveling to care for the poorest of the poor in the slums of Calcutta, India. And she started her call. She discovered her call as a young girl. She grew up in Bosnia. She ends up in India as a young nun. She becomes a religious and she is actually teaching um, young girls in India at a school, at a private school. But then she has this call within her heart to go serve the poorest of the poor because she sees the intense poverty in parts of India. 
and the suffering, I mean, because of the caste system, because of economic um, issues, you could say because of lots of different factors, there was a whole caste or a whole class or group of people that were just treated as less than human by society. And they were dying, literally dying, some of these people because of disease or because of disability or because of just sheer poverty dying in the streets. And Mother Teresa wanted to go and care for them and be Christ to them and give them a death with dignity to love them in their last moments or to help them to get them out of such terrible circumstances. So as she lived this, she would go around the world as she became more well-known, more people joined missionaries of charity, but she had very strong words to say about morality. She had this crystal moral clarity about the state of affairs. And I'm going to share you what she said at the National Prayer Breakfast, which is from a transcript that I read as a young girl. I started devouring her words because I came across some books about her teachings, uh, some of her homilies she gave to other sisters or meditations, I should say. And she just beautiful about how you love Jesus and how you put Jesus first. And I came across these books as a young girl. I was raised evangelical, but I'd go to this Catholic bookstore and loved reading these books. But as I researched her more, she had this crystal moral clarity. And what she said at this national prayer breakfast in 1994, before a Bill Clinton, then President Bill Clinton, and all these very powerful pro-abortion people. She looked at the crowd and she said, the greatest destroyer of peace in the world is abortion. The greatest destroyer of peace in the world is abortion. Now, this nun could have said, <laughs> this little sister could have said, that the greatest destroyer of peace was economic inequality, was racism, uh, was sexism, was sexual abuse, was, I mean, she could have named so many abuses. She, and, and in a sense, you would have thought she would have because she worked in Calcutta, India with the poorest of the poor. And even that she made a distinction to call it the greatest destroyer of peace is stunning. And so when I read those words, I was just deeply moved by that. And I really thought about it. Why? Why is it the greatest destroyer of peace? And she goes on to say, in a nation where a mother can kill her own child, what is left but for you and for I to kill one another? She said, what she's saying here is, it's one thing for the wealthy to reject the poor, or it's one thing for even people to mistreat others and even enslave or abuse them, but for a mother to reject her own child, for the womb to become a place of violence. What is left for our bonds as a society between people? What is left for our families? And when you look at the sheer death toll, abortion kills 125,000 people daily, globally, Every day in the world, 125,000 people are dead because of abortion. That is the greatest destroyer of human life daily. It's a, it's a leading cause of death, greatest bloodshed. And it's legal in most countries, certainly legal in the United States. So it's legalized injustice. It's not something that just happens like rape or murder happens um, unjustly and illegally, but this is a legalized murder. And as I considered that and I looked at her writing, I just... I had moral clarity. I had the gift of moral clarity at a young age because of my hero, because Mother Teresa was my hero and she had moral clarity. She gave me that moral clarity. And I suddenly saw, 
but with all the causes, social justice issues, this one had to be first. This was the greatest destroyer of peace. It was the greatest human rights issue. Um, next up, starting live action, and I'm on this mission, right? So I share that because Mother Teresa was a hero. She had moral clarity. She understood right from wrong. She called evil, evil, and good, good. She was not ambiguous morally. She was not confused morally. And she was fearless in speaking moral truths. And I think that is essential for a hero. And she lived virtuously. I mean, she lived a life of service and prayer. And she passionately tried to love other people. And so because of that, she inspired others. That's the power of a hero. Mother Teresa showed me what heroic love looked like, and she gave me a vision of moral clarity that I would not have had otherwise. It's so hard in our world today to have moral clarity, especially when we're told by media, academia, friends, politics, we're kind of told what to care about. I mean, think about that for a minute. What is not reported on, what is not the social media news story, what is not the hashtag of the year, what is not the iPhone video captured on camera that becomes viral that everybody sees might never be discussed or cared about, but could need to be. What I mean by that is we can focus our eyes on one cause or one injustice and exclude the others because it seems so all-consuming and we're told that this is the cause of the day when perhaps we've missed it. Perhaps this matters, this cause matters too. And I'm not saying that the fight for life is the only cause. I'm not saying that the pro-life cause is the only cause. It absolutely is not. I care about a lot of other causes. But if we ignore the greatest destroyer of peace and we just focus on a cause that's more popular or easier or less controversial... That is not moral clarity, and that is not living out heroic virtue. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful that Mother Teresa gave me that. I want to talk about two other heroes before talking about anti-heroes, because this isn't just about heroes. It's about anti-heroes and then how this applies to us. Uh, so two other heroes that I have that gave me really a vision for what even love was and virtue was, and they also had crystal moral clarity, were Maximilian Colby. I've actually mentioned him on a podcast before in the episode on putting up with persecution. So some of you might remember him. Uh, and also Corey Ten Boom. She was a woman in, uh, in, in a country neighboring to Germany during World War II. Her country was occupied by Nazi Germany. And she and her sister Betsy lived with their father in a, his watch repair, above his watch repair shop. And this was at a time when the Jews were being viciously treated uh, and also political dissidents and others. And she and her sister and father were doing their part to, to help, to try to rescue Jews from being taken into concentration camps by the SS and the Nazis. And so they actually tried to hide Jews above their father's watch shop uh, they called it The Hiding Place. And there's a book, Corey Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place, that I read as a young girl. This is how I discovered this hero of mine. And what happened because of Corey and Betsy, her sister's courage and her father's courage, is an informant told the Nazis about their secret operation and they were captured in the night and dragged off to a concentration camp themselves because they had dared to stand up for the Jews. And before going any further in the story, I just want to stop for a second. Betsy and uh, Corey did not have to do that. They, the, the Ten Booms did not have to 
hide Jews in their attic. And they could have had a thousand good reasons to say, oh no, we don't have to. It's dangerous. Maybe we won't actually help them. Maybe we'll actually, you know, maybe the Jews will be put in further danger um, of direct aggression. Uh, you know, we could get in trouble. I'm endangering my family. Uh, maybe I'll just find other ways. Maybe I'll just pray. Maybe I'll just pray. <laughs> I'll just pray for the Jewish people and mind my own business. You know, the, the Nazis are occupying our, our country now, but maybe that will change and we can, we can be free in the future. And that's change is happening soon. So why take so many risks? I mean, you can rationalize your way out of a cause before you even started. And I think that there's a tendency in all of us to do that. And I know when I was first getting involved in pro-life work, you know, there's lots of distractions and reasons not to do it. And again, I did not in any way, there's no comparison today between what we're doing in the pro-life movement and what these people did. I mean, Corey Ten Boom, Betsy, these are heroes who risked their lives. I often talk, you know, say, we're so privileged. We're so blessed, uh, especially here in America, if you're listening. I mean, I know we have lots of international listeners, and I think really in most Western nations and, and most nations in the world today, I mean, there's a lot of poverty and suffering and injustices. But you know, if you're listening, if you're able to even listen to a podcast, <laughs> there's some privilege right there and blessing right there. You have that freedom and that technology. There's so many opportunities we have. And, you know, we're not at risk of dying the way that Corey and Betsy, her sister and their father were because of pro-life work. I mean, we have the freedom to do it. We're, our rights are even protected to do it. The real victim, we are not the victim. The child in the womb is the victim. The 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 woman or the young girl has been lied and misled, lied to and misled is the victim is is another victim. But all this to say, Corey Ten Boom and Betsy, when they decided to step into the fray, when they decided to say, we have to do something. We're not going to sit on the sidelines. We're going to take action. And they risked themselves. They ended up suffering the consequences. They were dragged to concentration camps. They were tortured, malnourished, suffered deprivation and disease. Betsy would die and Corey Ten Boom would almost die. She actually was miraculously released right before the end of the war when she'd go on to be able to tell the story of her sister and write her book. But she lived heroic virtue. She sacrificed even herself because she had moral clarity about the crisis of how the Jewish people were being treated. And she did something about it. She understood that she could stand up and fight for them. And so that is a hero right there. That is somebody who can inspire us to self-sacrifice for others and give us a better vision of seeing even when it's inconvenient, right from wrong and being willing to stand up for what is right against what is wrong. Maximilian Kolbe, also a uh, in, in an Nazi-occupied nation. He was in Poland. He's a priest. He ends up also trying to shelter Jews to help them escape. He gets caught as well. He's sent to Auschwitz, the very infamous internment camp and concentration camp. And there he uh, tries to keep his faith alive. He shares the faith with others. I mean, he's living heroic virtue in the camp, despite the deprivation and, and despite the torture. And then one day there is a, 
an escape attempt by, by some of the suffering prisoners. They line up all the men in the men's camp for roll call to talk, you know, to interrogate them for and punish them for this, uh, escapee. Maximilian Colby is there and they say as a punishment, they're going to pick 10 random prisoners to put them in the bunker. The bunker is a place where you suffer terribly. You, you starve and dehydrate to death, thirst to death. And that's your, that's the way you die. And so they start selecting men and then they're down to the last man that they're selecting. And he cries out in complete terror, my wife, my children, this, this particular prisoner was just distraught to think that if he dies in this bunk where he'll never have a chance to be re reunited with them or to try to rescue them. And when Maximilian Colby standing in line heard this man cry out, he made a decision that he did not have to make. He stepped forward and said, take me instead. He offered his life for that man's life and they accepted it. The Nazis accepted it, the SS, and they, they dragged him to the bunker. Um, he led the men in prayer and singing as they suffered for two weeks. He didn't die after even almost two weeks. And so they end up giving him a injection in the heart to kill him. And they say that he died with peace and even joy on his face. Maximilian Colby had moral clarity about the value of life, about faith, about God, and he had heroic virtue. Remember I mentioned the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. You need God for those. Those are, those are God-given. Not that God doesn't give us the cardinal virtues, the other four, but we need particular grace to have the the, the, the ability to lay down our life for someone, to love that much. Um, faith, they say, is a gift. And in that sense, it's um, also infused in us, given to us to be able to have faith. We can ask for these gifts. God wants to give them to us freely. But Maximilian Kolbe had the ultimate heroic virtue, love, in that he laid down his life. So these are some of my early heroes. I've had many others since. I want to encourage you to have your heroes. Think about who are my heroes? Who are my models? Who do I admire? Who do I look to? Because who we look to is who we strive to become like, whether we realize it or not. And this, we have to be intentional about this because there are anti-heroes. Anti-heroes are everywhere. And anti-heroes can really, I think, make or break us. Antiheroes can make or break our society. And what is an antihero? An antihero, I think, is somebody who, number one, is morally ambiguous or has moral... Uh, upholds moral wrong as moral right. They're morally confused. They do not have moral clarity. In fact, they mislead morally because they themselves are confused. Maybe it's intentional. Maybe it's not. Regardless, that's the problem. And that can be extremely damaging. Number two, a anti-hero, an anti-hero, and this is my definition for it, but an anti-hero is somebody who promotes vice, Instead of living out virtue, they live out vice. And typically they, they wear their vice as a virtue. In fact, their virtue, <laughs> um, they, they, they make vice their focus. Uh, again, whether they do this willfully or not, in the sense that they know it's wrong and they're doing it, they might just be morally confused. Remember, they don't have moral clarity. And so because they have deformed consciences, they don't understand right from wrong, they're going to be promoting vice. So what are some examples? And because of this, the third thing is that they inspire vice instead of inspiring heroic virtue. And so what are some examples? I mean, there are examples everywhere, I think. There are people, 
and companies for that matter, who use lust, the sexual objectification of others, who use this vice, this sin, this immorality in order to sell stuff and promote greed or excess materialism. And it's just a cycle of vice. And you know, there's whole, I think, influencers or celebrities whose brands are built around the sexualization of themselves and others in order to sell stuff in order to promote products. I mean, think about how anti-hero that is. The moral uh, confusion of that, the moral dishonesty of that, the vice that that promotes in society, the, the model that they are, the anti-hero model that they are for a whole generation of people, particularly younger people, and the, the toxic influence of that. Or the, you know, maybe it is the anti-hero is the obsessive careerist who puts, you know, climbing the top of the mountain, breaking the glass ceiling as the most important value, even more important than family or human beings uh, to the point that they would, you know, there was a, a famous actor who won a Golden Globe last year. Some of you might remember this. And she actually held this golden trophy and she said that she thanked her abortion for achieving this this milestone in her career. I mean, think about what an anti-hero, stereotypical anti-hero that is. The moral confusion, the moral falsity, and the connected to the vice of killing somebody, your own child, in order to pursue your career, your own prestige, your own fame. So these examples are actually everywhere. I mean, it might be careerism. It might be the materialism, it might be less. I mean, these are all vices that are being held up as virtues and promoted to society and all in the name of moral ambiguity or moral falsity, just saying, this is how, what I think I, I, I decide right from wrong, or there is no right from wrong. But I will point out that it's interesting that even anti-heroes understand the importance of the, the, the moral language. And so you will see we will see anti-heroes who are promoting vices, who are morally wrong and promoting moral falsehood. You will see anti-heroes claiming that they know right from wrong. They will see them claiming that they know what they're saying and doing, and uh, they will actually try to claim the moral high ground at times. And that's, that's of course, the standard put a lie on the truth or put the, put, put the word truth on a lie and hope it sticks. But I think that if we take a time to step back to look for moral clarity ourselves, to look to real heroes that have moral clarity and to seek virtue ourselves. Virtue, which at its heart, with the greatest virtue being love, is about service to one another and love for the other, wanting the good for the other. Then I think we can discover true heroes. There's another thing I'll say too about anti-heroes. I mentioned they are everywhere. We can be an anti-hero too, I think. Um, and you know, I, I've been an anti-hero in my life. Anytime we commit wrongdoing or we rationalize wrongdoing, you know, we we step into moral ambiguity and we're like, eh, I don't know. It's morality is too hard. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go for it. And we and justify that. We might think that our wrongdoing only affects us, but it affects other people. We are all either heroes or anti-heroes to the next person. We are. We are all either influencing the next person for good or for bad. There's no such thing as neutrality. There's no such thing as neutrality in human relationships. Uh, there's no such thing as more neutrality in choices that are ultimately moral choices. 
you know, and, and if, whether I'm going to have vanilla or chocolate ice cream, that's not a moral choice, but whether or not I'm going to objectify my body and try to get other people to lust after it or flaunt myself sexually, um, or I choose to respect my body and sexuality for its beauty and its power. And I position it the right way. Those are moral choices, whether or not I choose to binge, uh, and to, um, you know, look at out of curiosity and just scandal at other people and waste my time and in a way objectify other people by uh, in, in diving into curiosity by just going down this rabbit hole of celebrity gossip and making that my my focus. Um, that's that's a moral choice. Whenever we choose to do go to the excess, remember the virtues, uh, the vices. Um, a virtue that's just disordered, distorted. Um, it's in excess one way or the other. So you might be um, in temperance. Temperance is in the mean, you're in the middle, but if you're not temperate and you're uh, in the excess, you're maybe you're greedy or you're, you're too obsessed and you're eating too much or you're consuming too much or you're um, shopping too much or whatever it is. Ultimately, now, if there's an addiction at play and something psychological that can mitigate the moral responsibility but ultimately these are these have moral weight to them. And so we have to decide what kind of people do we want to be? And that's why I did this episode. That's why I think it's so important to evaluate who do we follow? Who do we look to? Who do we read? Who do we study? Who influences us? Are they heroes or anti-heroes? And there will be people that have some of both in them. We're all trying to be the better. <laughs> you know, we're all trying to be more excellent, but we need to have clarity to know what is right and what is wrong. And so looking to people that can help us have that clarity is essential. I believe it is essential for us. To close it out, I'm going to close with the last two, the mega hero and the mega anti-hero. Uh, many of you listening are Christians, are evangelicals, are Catholic. I'm Catholic, as you know. And I think the ultimate hero, <laughs> my ultimate hero, is Jesus Christ. And he, he lived came to this earth 2000 years ago, was incarnate. The historical record for Christ is amazing. I mean, there's no human in history that has more documentation than Jesus Christ. And the record of his life is very well kept. I mean, there is there are multiple gospels, eyewitness accounts, there are historical accounts, and they talk about the life and death of Jesus Christ and also about his resurrection. And Jesus Christ, what did he do? He was the ultimate hero. He came and he had perfect moral clarity. He spoke into a time in history with moral truths. Each person he encountered, he gave them moral clarity. And some of them didn't like it, right? And they rejected him. Some of the Jews rejected him. Some people went away sad because they didn't want to hear his moral message. But he had perfect moral clarity. He was God. And he also had perfect virtue, heroic virtue to the point of love that he would even give his life for us. So we will not be doomed to death. And that, I mean, as Jesus Christ himself says, no man has any greater love than this, that he would lay down his life for a friend. And that's exactly what our Lord did is he laid down his life for all of us so that we would have the opportunity to be reconciled with him eternally, that we, despite our anti-hero within us, despite our sin, that we wouldn't get the punishment of separation from God, that we could be reconciled with the perfect God, with all that is good and true and beautiful, the, the complete um, summit of goodness and, and truth and beauty and the one who is love himself, God. So 
the anti-hero here is Satan. I mean, if that's probably not a surprise, you probably are thinking, yeah, I'm tracking here. And so what does Satan do? He has to try to make evil look good. They call him the angel of light. Um, he is deceiving people by presenting what is really destructive as actually constructive or positive. And that's part of the whole game of Satan and the anti-hero, right? The anti-hero often presents him or herself as a hero, even if they, you know, claim to, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, you know, they're open about their flaws or their vices and they're sort of joking about them. Ultimately, they will try to find some sort of moral high ground. And I think Satan does that um, in the rationalization that he can get people to buy into. And again, you might be listening to this and you're like, well, I don't really know that I believe in the existence of Satan or Jesus Christ, or you don't have to believe today and have that faith today to see this, to understand that there are forces in the world and in our own hearts towards heroism or anti-heroism. And so I would just encourage you, you know, if you're in that camp of like, I don't know what I believe on this stuff. The anti-hero hero thing is interesting. I'll look into that more, but not sure about God being the ultimate hero and Satan the ultimate anti-hero or our own hearts can lead towards anti-heroism in our in sin and moral wrongdoing. I would just encourage you to take stock of again, back to the original point of this podcast. Who do you worship? Who do you admire most? Who or what and why? And is that thing or person? that you put your admiration in. Uh, maybe it's yourself and your own abilities. Maybe it's no one and you're kind of you know, pessimistic or cynical about everything. Is that really going to answer the deepest hopes of your heart if you, you know, are willing to think or feel what are those hopes? And what I mean by that is I think we all, we all want and are aiming towards truth. We want to be told the truth. And I think we all want and are aiming towards happiness and meaning. Where will we find that? Is it findable? And I say, absolutely look to the ultimate hero of all and work with his help. And I speak, of course, now as a Christian with God's help to become more like him as opposed to the anti-hero. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, on my meditation today, I guess you could say on heroes and anti-heroes, I'd love your thoughts. Please let me know. Thoughts at LilaRoshow.com. Who are your favorite heroes? Who are your anti-heroes in today's culture? We'll definitely discuss this in future episodes too. But again, today is actually release day for my book. And some of what I discussed today is from a chapter in Fighting for Life called Find Your Heroes. There's also a chapter called Let God Find You, which I hope is interesting, especially if you're listening and you're not a Christian or not religious. It shares my story of how I became you know, the footnotes, I should say, of how I became Christian. And, and there's another chapter, how I actually became from evangelical to Catholic. So I share some of that in the book. But most importantly, the book is holistically a guide for anybody who wants to make a difference in the world. And it's also the story of live action and a lot of the work I've done. So I hope you enjoy it. Please let me know what you think of it. Fighting for life, becoming a force for change in a wounded world. You can get it wherever you buy books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever. And thank you. Thank you guys for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can leave a review, give it five stars on Apple. That helps the podcast reach more people. And I will see you again next week.